revealing discussion on two questions. Was Jesus married and was he a polygamist? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Alton Kraut was a fundamentalist Mormon, and he died in July of 2002, and he had been a convert to the Mormon Church in his teens. He attended BYU for a short time, and he served on a Mormon mission. And during his adult life, he published dozens, literally dozens, of articles and books and pamphlets supporting and explaining his odd religious beliefs. He was very active in the LDS Church for several years, and he taught the LDS gospel doctrine in his ward, but the members didn't know that he was connected to polygamists. Literally thousands of people followed his teachings which supported the fundamentalist Mormon twist. One person said of him that he was a brilliant man led astray. The controversial nature of some of his writings resulted in him being investigated and then excommunicated from the LDS Church. Mm -hmm. One of his widowed plural wives is an organizing member of Principal Voices, a group of women who are who defend polygamy as a viable alternative lifestyle that should be legalized. He wrote a book entitled, one of the books he wrote, well, I should yeah. say, was entitled, Jesus Was Married, <clears throat> and he self-published it in 1969. And that's what we're going to discuss in the next couple of segments. We'll start off with quoting from chapter one of the book, which reveals from his polygamous mindset, his assertion that Jesus was married. Yes, from chapter one, he says, the reasons for believing in the marriage of Jesus rather than in celibacy are more logical and to a great degree more valid through the light of prophecy, history, and revelation. However, those who make reference to or boldly assert that Jesus was married will usually arouse a cry of blasphemy from the modern Christian. Well, it comes from us. Yeah. <laughs> Kraut claimed that Jesus must have been married because celibacy contributed nothing to the propagation of the human race, that celibacy was a doctrine of the pagans until it became incorporated into apostate Christianity. He made that statement in chapter 2 with no footnotes or references to support it. Perhaps Kraut didn't realize that Jesus did not come to propagate the human race. By the way, he created the human race to start <laughs> with. Right. Jesus came to save sinners because we are all lost without him. He came to do for sinners what sinners cannot do for ourselves. Yeah, and here's a whole bunch of references in the Bible. Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. In Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You've got a couple? Uh-huh. Luke 9, 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And John three seventeen. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And a couple more from 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, what, and 1 John 4.14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
<laughs> good verses. Yeah, they are. And note that all of these verses, and there are many, many more than these, tell us that Jesus came to save us. He did not come to get married, to live polygamy, <laughs> or to propagate the human species. Kraut wrote in chapter 2, quote, Celibacy, among other things, was a doctrine of devils. Now, it's excruciating to see how he twisted the Bible yeah. passages he uses and ignores the context. The same passage that he used, the calling celibacy, the doctrine of devils, is the same exact passage that, he, that calls dietary restrictions doctrines of devils, and Mormonism is very guilty no, of that. Sure. He held on to the Mormon doctrine that the Bible has been corrupted, that is filled with inaccuracies, scriptures have been hidden from the general public, and many plain and precious things have been removed. He wrote that many years of the life of Jesus is missing from the gospel accounts, as well as other missing books from the New Testament. Now, of course, these claims only serve to reveal their ignorance of God's promises that His Word is perfect and will endure forever. Yes, and he, he wrote this in chapter 2, because great portions of the story of Christianity have been lost, discarded, or altered, the true facts are difficult, if not impossible, to find. And to these hazy scraps of history, apostasy has added dogmas, rituals, and the traditions of men. Throughout the centuries of time, these traditions evolved into church law, and that law, in turn, was advocated as historical fact. Now, he gave no historical Never references <laughs> to, he did have footnotes in did this book, some? but on some of these he yeah. didn't have okay. any. And so he did not substantiate the accuracy of his claims. About historical marriage, he wrote this. Yeah, more from chapter 2. The history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid as it has come down through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and man-managing especially through channels which have corrupted almost every other doctrine and ordinance of a sacred gospel. The laws of the marriage covenant have, been, have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. Through the traditions and assumptions of men, celibacy became not only an accepted doctrine of the Christian church for men and women, but even for Christ. Fundamentally, the question is not, what proof do we have that Jesus was married, but rather, where is there any proof that celibacy was a doctrinal law of God? Well, you know, he, he kind of plays around here with, with concepts with and with words. words, but the title of his book is, Jesus yes. was married. Right. And yet he says that fundamentally that's not the question. But it is a question. That's the title of his book. It's very relevant here. So he either totally ignored or was ignorant of the fact that Protestant Christians do not and have not ever considered celibacy as a doctrinal law of God. And besides that, the Bible teaches that by no law will anyone ever be justified before God. Law is not required in God's new covenant. Grace is the pathway, not law. Yeah. Oddly, Ogden Kraut later referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which teaches
celibacy is okay if you choose. Paul specifically tells us that if a man or woman does not marry, it's okay. If they do marry, it's still okay. It's a personal choice, not a required standard of law to live by. Kraut has misrepresented what the Bible teaches. Jesus himself recognized there would be some people who would choose to not become married or remarried. Yeah, from Matthew 19, 12. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, these are Jesus' words. Yes. Uh-huh. And he's speaking directly to celibacy, and Jesus himself said celibacy was okay. So often crowds way off the mark <laughs> in what he says. Now, in the last quote that we read, we're going to repeat what Kraut said. The history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid as it has come down through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and man-managing. The laws of the marriage covenant have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. And you know, as I was going through these notes and putting these information together, I had to spit and sputter (laughs) over this one the first time I read it because it wasn't the Christians who perverted the historical tradition of marriage. It was Joseph Smith and the Mormons who did that. God's purpose at creation was monogamy. Monogamy was and is the Christian custom. It was Joseph Smith's command to take many wives in order to attain Mormon exaltation. Polygamy is doctrines of devils, not celibacy. Now remember, Ogden Kraut repeatedly slammed the accuracy and trustworthiness of the Bible. But then he turns around and he quotes the Bible over and over and over again to prove his non-biblical Mormon belief that Jesus was married and was a polygamist. Chapter 3 begins with the statements about the Jewish law and Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Unlike any other nation, the tribe of Judah was distinct in its moral and physical laws. The purpose of cleansing or purifying the body and soul was for a dedication and preparation of the Messiah who would be born through that sacred lineage. Eating habits were restricted by spiritual laws to purify the blood, and marriage laws were jealously, jealously <laughs> observed by the Jewish community to prevent introduction to contamination by any Gentile strain of blood. Can you see uh, <laughs> some racism going on here? Yeah. Now, this, of course, is more use of the Bible that he didn't trust, and it's obvious that he had no true knowledge or spiritual understanding of the Old Testament. For instance, he said Jewish eating habits were restricted to purify their blood. Well, eating restrictions cannot and do not purify the human blood. Diet, diet cannot create a holy race. Yeah, that, quote. Acts 15, 9. God made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles, for he, God, purified their hearts by faith. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. Now notice that it's God and not diet that does the purifying of our hearts and is compl- accomplished through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now Kraut wrote that marriage laws were jealously observed by the Jews to prevent uh, Introduction of contamination of Gentile blood. Now, Mormonism teaches that they are the true Israel today, right? right? Okay, so they're 
that there is some racism going on here. Of course, what he's saying is blatantly untrue. But the, the, the reason that, that God forbade intermarriage with pagan nations was to keep the Israelites from following the pagans' idolatry, rituals, false gods, and the heretical belief in many gods, all of which Mormonism has done. It had nothing to do with Gentile blood, but behavior. Yeah, Acts 17, 26 says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. One blood. Yeah. All the nations of men are made from one blood. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, was a Gentile when God called him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all Gentiles until God changed Jacob's name to Israel and set aside his family as a nation. He didn't change his blood, he changed his name. <laughs> Judah, the patriarch of the tribe of Judah, who Kraut claimed had to keep his bloodline pure, Judah himself married the daughter of a Canaanite man and had children with her. And later, Judah fathered a son with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and she's included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Mm. There was no pure human bloodline to the Messiah. Did Kraut not know the story of Ruth, the great-grandmother of King David? She was a direct bloodline to Jesus. Ruth was from Moab, a nation God rejected. And Ruth's husband was Boaz, and he was the son of Rahab, a Gentile prostitute who married Solomon, Boaz's father. And all of these Gentiles and their blood are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Kraut really did Ooh, not know did, the Bible, or he ignored these facts, no, calling them corrupt. I think that's probably more accurate. Ignored them. <laughs> I don't think he did a lot of spiritual understanding of it either. I don't no. think he did. In chapter 3, he argued that because Jesus was called rabbi by some of his followers, it was certain he was married because rabbis were required to be married in order to be a rabbi. I've heard this. I've heard a lot too. No. Now, rabbi then was not what rabbi is today. We quote from Vine's Bible Dictionary. Rabbi, from a word rab, primarily denoting master in contrast to his slave, my master, and was a title of respect by which teachers were addressed. In the New Testament, the word is used as a courteous title of address. Now, Jesus was called rabbi. He was a teacher. He was and he is the master. Jesus was also called teacher. He was also called Lord. Right. Um, but but Kraut defined rabbi outside of its historical timeline context. Rabbis, as they are known today, did not exist in Jesus's day. Yeah, so he wrote this in chapter 3. Jesus acknowledged the title, office, and position of rabbi by precept and example. Jesus lived through a constant barrage of attacks against his birth, character, authority, law, and doctrine. Yet if he had lived a celibate life, that alone would have given his enemies their greatest advantage to dispute his claims. For it was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. Jesus could only have avoided this pitfall by obeying the rabbinical law of marriage. Now, again, everything is wrong in, in this. He wrote that rabbis were required to be married and obey the command that God gave in Genesis 128. 
to be fruitful and multiply. But that command was given to Adam and Eve. It was not given to anyone who would ever be born on this planet, and it was not given to Jesus. Jewish traditions and God's requirements are two totally different systems. In fact, Jesus condemns tradition that ignores, replaces, or adds to God's words. Yeah, this is from Mark chapter 7, 6 through 9. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And he, Kraut, talks a lot about the traditions yeah. and um, uh, spiritual requirements anyway that are founded on the traditions of man. Even Jewish traditions are not part of the New Testament gospel. And we read from Colossians chapter 2, 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells, uh, lives in bodily form. So that's telling us Jesus was fully God. Yes. He's the creator of the human race, and he does not need to marry to propagate the race, and not to follow tradition. We, he, we, we're not to follow tradition, but we're supposed to follow Jesus. Now, back to his dogmatic statement about the requirement that rabbis be married, he said, quote, for it was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. Well, first of all, there are no biblical laws aimed at rabbis. <laughs> he concluded that Jesus was married based on several false assumptions. He quoted several different rabbis to support his belief that Jesus was married. And we cannot present each quote, <clears throat> but we must say that the Jews do not believe Jesus is their Messiah. Most of mm -hmm. them reject the New Testament, so many of their conclusions must be questioned. Now, Revel's Bible Dictionary tells us that in New Testament times, a rabbi was not an ordained person as he is in modern Judaism. Kraut also quoted early Mormon polygamists as evidence that Jesus was married. From chapter 4 in his book, the ancient Jewish prophets depicted the life of their Messiah in minute detail. The time and place of his birth, his teachings, the betrayal, crucifixion, etc. were all accurately predicted. Later, Jewish scholars, almost without exception, have interpreted these prophecies to include their Messiah to be married. In the Jewish society, marriage was a commandment strictly observed, almost as a compulsory law. Now, there is no ancient biblical prophecy that requires the Messiah to be married. Yeah, I don't think remember reading it. <laughs> uh, no, there's not. This is tradition again. But notice how he says, he's quoting the Bible that he says is not true and saying how accurately it, it predicted his coming and all of the things about his coming. Can't have it both ways. Well, you can't have it both ways. Now, the, the, there's no, like we said, no biblical prophecy that requires the Messiah was to be married. In fact, God mocked the ancient Jews at one point because they considered him, God, as though he was a mere man like themselves. 
And that's exactly what Mormons and polygamists do. This obviously includes the character, the motivations, and the morality of God himself. Yeah, from Psalms chapter 50, verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. So God's accusing them of thinking that he was like, like them. them. <laughs> Mormonism teaches that they will be like God, and they are now gods in embryo. That's right. It was Joseph Smith who invented celestial marriage, but it's not in the Bible. God never commanded it, and Jesus never lived it. But because Mormons must justify their behavior, they made God into their own image, and they didn't stop at making him married, they also made him a polygamist. <laughs> and they didn't stop there. They made polygamy a requirement by which men could become gods. Back to rabbis and marriage. We have a quote from our own research. Now, this is from George Moore, Judaism in the first centuries of the Christian era. It says, there is no evidence that all rabbis were married. On the contrary, it was not uncommon for rabbis dedicated to the special study of God's word to remain single. That's hmm. what he says. How about that? Oh, be darn. Kraut wrote that Jesus was called rabbi by his disciples as well as by others. We showed the biblical definition of rabbi as being master. Kraut also showed that rabbi meant master. But in his inconsistencies, he later wrote that the women who followed Jesus during his ministry were women who must have been Jesus's wives. Yeah, again, from chapter 4, I have quoted from the Old Testament law of Moses and the meaning of New Testament words, such as those used by Martha when she said to Mary, her sister, the master is come and calleth for thee, John eleven twenty eight. Master was the title that a wife used when speaking of her husband. But he already said that master, that rabbi, rabbi by the master. disciples, so was the disciples married to Jesus too? I mean, he's saying this in the same context. Everybody said it, yeah. Later in his book, Kraut said that both Mary and Martha were polygamous wives of Jesus Christ. The New Testament also required that all church officers, such as bishops, elders, and deacons, be married, and the fathers of children. That's 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, and verse 12. A man that is not married, or who has never been married, meets neither the Old Testament Israel, nor the New Testament church requirements for the priesthood. Okay, now he's brought priesthood into it, and it has really nothing to do with it. But there is no requirement for a New Testament priesthood is practiced by the Mormons and the polygamists. While checking to discover if the rabbis during Jesus' day were required to be married, I found out that there were no rabbis 2,000 years ago. In the same sense, an office of rabbis and their requirements today. Judaism was practiced differently then than it is now. The current system of synagogues and rabbis did not come about until about the year 200 A.D. And even then, they weren't rabbis as we know them today. But to their community, they were more like our system of senators and scholars. Hmm. We quote, By the time of Jesus, the title rabbi was not exclusively used in a formal manner as it is today in Judaism in reference to authorized clergy. 
On the contrary, it was sometimes used in reference to non-clergy and non-Pharisaic individuals who had acquired a religious following as a means of attributing honor. Also, not all recognized Pharisaic authorities, that time's rabbis, had the, had the rabbi title attached to their names, as was, for example, the case of Hillel the Elder. Later rabbinic authorities also don't always have the title. All this to say that, even if it could be proven that in rabbinic Judaism historically, one would have had to be married to be a recognized rabbi, it does not follow that Jesus was married just because he was called a rabbi, since the title was not exclusively used in this formal manner, being sometimes attributed to religious leaderships independent of formal training, recognition, and any other requirement for official ordination as a rabbi. So that just throws out the yes. entire argument that Jesus was married because he was called a rabbi. Yeah. Totally throws it out. Right. So it's and, and and which of course makes it completely inaccurate, not historic. It's untrue. It's basically dishonest uh, to claim that Jesus was married simply because some of his followers called him rabbi. And this is the end of part one. We got part two coming up um, and we're going to discuss more of his book claiming that Jesus was married and actually move into the idea that he was a polygamist. It might be interesting to find out what the Greek uh, translations of the word rabbi or teacher as they as Jesus was called in the Old and the New Testament. Well, sometimes it it's been, sometimes it's interpreted teacher. And or they just use the word rabbi instead of. Say teacher. Well, that's what Rabbi was. He was yeah. he was a teacher, right. but he wasn't ordained like today's rabbis are, right. and and had certain laws and restrictions right. like being married and all right. this other stuff. Yeah. Um, in those days, like they do today. Right. So, so anyway, um, I find this very interesting because so many people that I talk to that come from polygamy group or from Mormonism itself will say, how do we know Jesus wasn't married? Yeah. And we'll deal more with that next time, too. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot, And a Earl. polygamist. What a, what a thought that yeah. Jesus was oh, a my. polygamist. Wait till, we, wait till we get to part two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mormonism insists upon ordinances and laws and requirements in describing their gospel, and then they dictate strict obedience before a person can achieve eternal glory. What a waste. Jesus has removed the ordinances and the laws and has made them obsolete. The old covenant is complete. It's over. It's outdated. It's been replaced by the new covenant of grace, ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other new covenant. There can be no other covenant at all. Polygamy or celestial marriage is not a new and everlasting covenant in God's program. There is no room in the New Covenant for, for the works of religious laws to work our way into God's grace. It cannot happen. It will not happen. But joy and rejoicing, rest, and Christ's personal righteousness can be ours when we give it all over to Him and trust Him alone for our eternal life. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org 
or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.